0: Now, you might be wondering at this strange assortment of things that I've, I've brought with me. It's kind of like show and tell when I was a kid. But, but all of these things actually have something in common. These are all things that I learned from my father. My dad taught me how to ride a bike. A love that I have picked up again in my adult years. In fact, next weekend I'm going to be riding this bike, hopefully 150 miles to Joplin and back. And I'm still needing sponsors. I've got to raise $200 by next week. So, you know, please find my, my, my post on Facebook or just find me after church if you've got a few dollars. It all goes to help multiple scler- sclerosis, if I can say that correctly. Uh, so it goes to a good cause. And maybe I can work off a couple of pounds. Of course, I'm riding with a team from American Products, and they have a big barbecue in Joplin, so I'll put it all (laughs) right back on. But yeah, my dad taught me to ride a bike. He taught me how to shave. Although I still can't grow a full, thick beard. That's, That's why I'll never be a hipster. I just can't grow the right facial hair. My dad taught me how to drive. And of course, with that goes the other driving responsibilities. Like changing a flat tire and changing the oil. And um, with three girls in my house, it is still my job to change flat tires. You know, I teach the girls how to drive and I teach them how to change a tire. But if a tire needs to be changed, you know who has to do it. So, it's, yeah, it's dad's job. Um, My dad taught me how to mow the lawn and do lawn work. There are times I wish he didn't. Um, But actually, I've got to be grateful because I made a lot of money mowing lawns. In fact, I bought my first few really cool bikes with lawn mowing money. I paid for my first computer with lawn mowing money, a Commodore 64, if that means anything to some of you. Yeah, I'm ancient. My dad taught me how to fish, mostly in the waters of northern Minnesota and the natural lakes up there. So, walleye, northern pike, smallmouth bass, that sort of thing. And to this day, if I if if you went with me to Lake Crystal in Minnesota, I could help you catch your limit on any of those fish. Um, and it was on a reel, much like the Zebco that he taught me on. Um, it was also on one of those vacation trips that Dad taught me, that as a man, it was okay to, if you're out in nature, to pee behind a tree. All right? Which was a lesson I took to heart, and it got my dad in trouble when one Sunday, right after church, I decided as a young boy to water the tree right outside the front doors. My dad taught me to love the New York Yankees, the Minnesota Vikings, and NASCAR. Now, don't ask me how an Iowa boy like my dad ended up with that combination of things. But it's what he taught me. My dad never even been to New York City until just a few years ago. But I grew up a Yankees fan. Perkins, some of us were just raised right, I guess, is how that goes, right? Yeah. I don't know, was your dad a Yankees fan? Where did you get that? You don't know. <laughs> but dad, dad taught me important things too. How to love God. How to love a wife. How to love children. But all of these things that my dad taught me, and and if you think of the things that you learned from your dad or maybe your mom or grandparent, they didn't teach them to you in a classroom, did they? My dad never had me open a book other than my, my Bible. He didn't teach me by lecturing me, although he did some of those really well. But he taught me By sharing life with me. He taught me side by side. By spending time together. And He would do something. And He'd let me watch. And He would explain what He was doing and and why He was doing it. And, And as I grew in my understanding and as I grew in my ability, He let me help out. And if I messed up, He would encourage me. And if I got it right, He would give me words of praise. And that's how He taught me By pouring His life into me. And that's not just how a father teaches a son, but it's also how you make heroes. And so far in this Hero Maker series, we have looked at the first two essential practices of a Hero Maker. Multiplication thinking and permission giving. Now, multiplication thinking is when we go from thinking that that ministry happens... That growth happens, that change happens as the result of our own efforts to believing that it happens as the result of the efforts of many permission giving is when we go from seeing what God can do through yourself to seeing what God can do through someone else and then giving them the freedom they need to pursue that and helping them. To achieve that this morning, we want to look at the third practice of a hero maker, and it is disciple multiplying and disciple multiplying is the heart of a hero maker. Disciple multiplying is what it's all about. If we want to become hero makers, we must commit to making heroes or as Jesus calls it, making disciples. And this is the heart of Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28. Now, have any of you memorized this yet? Any of you able to quote it? Anybody? Anybody want to come? Lisa, do you want to come up here and give it a try? No. All right. Let's see if you all can help me. Matthew 28: 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, "All of." Th- oh, no, take it off the screen. Don't let them cheat. Let's start over. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Actually, I think I just threw an even from one of my earlier memorizations. I think it's just too That's my problem. I've memorized it in like four different translations. Oh, well. So would just I'm getting old. I'm not turning into a fuddy-duddy. Just leave well enough alone. That's the Great Commission. Now, to be a disciple multiplier... Here is the shift of thinking that's got to take place. We've got to go from what our usual practice is of, of prioritizing personal growth to prioritizing. You can bring the screen back up now. I just didn't want them to cheat on the memory verse. But prioritizing instead of prioritizing personal growth, prioritizing the growth of others. Now, there's nothing wrong with personal growth. You know, we want to grow closer to our our, our walk with Jesus. We want to go deeper in our relationship with God. We want to improve our own spiritual lives. That's all well and good. But if we could expand our horizons, imagine if we could prioritize the growth of others and deepen their walk with Christ. Help them grow closer to God. Help them improve spiritually. Then we wouldn't just be growing ourselves. We would be growing the kingdom. And for this to happen, we have to share our lives like a hero maker. And that means we have to shift from information sharing to life sharing and doing life together. And I want to focus this morning on Peter. Peter was a great hero maker who was able to multiply himself by sharing his life with others. And a great example of this is how Peter was used by God to multiply disciples when the church was launched. Now, it happened during the Feast of Pentecost. Um, The disciples, the twelve, were given the ability to speak in tongues. That is, they could speak in other languages. And Jews from all over the empire, from all different parts of the, of the Roman world, had come to Jerusalem for this holy festival. And and they'd come from parts of the, of the world that spoke different languages. And all of a sudden, they could hear the disciples speaking in the language from where they're from. And, and pretty soon, everybody stopped what they were doing. And, and this crowd had gathered around the twelve. And once they had everyone's attention, Peter stands up and he preaches to the crowd. It's the first sermon in the history of the church. And he tells them all about Jesus, and how Jesus was the promised Messiah, and the Messiah had come, and they had crucified him. What a sermon, huh? The Messiah is coming. You killed him. But the response is amazing. In Acts chapter two. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about three thousand souls. 3,000 in one day. That's amazing. But Peter wasn't just about sharing information. He didn't just preach his sermon, close his Bible, and go home. My job's done. I've done my part. No. He shared life with these people. Peter and the rest of the apostles and all of these new Christians immediately started doing life together. Look what happens after Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God added to their number day by day. And how did this happen? Why did this happen? Because they weren't just learning information. They weren't just listening to sermons and lessons, although they did that. They weren't just attending home Bible studies, although they did that. They shared life together. Meals, money, possessions, life. Now, where did they learn this? Where did Peter and the other apostles get this idea? Well, they had spent the last three years sharing life with Jesus. Jesus had lived with them, ate with them, taught them side by side. And we see the beginning of this all the way back in Luke chapter 5. This is where Peter first meets Jesus. Peter, if you remember, is a fisherman. And he has just spent the whole night fishing and, and hasn't had much luck. Hardly caught a thing. And so... Jesus comes across Peter in the morning. He's on the seashore. He's washing his nets. And Peter wants to, or Jesus wants to use his boat as a portable pulpit. And he has Peter put out a little bit from the shore. And, and Jesus is going to stand on the boat and he's going to preach while the people are gathered on the hillside there beside the sea. And it makes a nice natural amphitheater. And so Jesus preaches this sermon to the people. But when he's done with the sermon... He's just started with Peter. And he tells Peter, Peter, put out your nets. Of course, Peter is a veteran fisherman. He's like, well, you know, we've fished all night and didn't catch anything. But he doesn't want to be rude. And so he humors Jesus and he throws out the nets. And then he brings in so many fish, the nets break and they almost sink two boats. And Peter has at that moment two sudden realizations. The first realization is that he is in the presence of divine power. He knows that Jesus is somebody of God and that he has divine power. And the second realization is this. He's not worthy to be there in Jesus' presence. But listen to what Jesus tells Peter in Luke 5.10. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And for three years, Peter shares life with Jesus. And we see here the first key to sharing life like a hero maker. And that is intentionality. You have to be intentional. From now on, you will be catching men, Jesus tells him. Matthew records Jesus uh, this encounter with Peter and Peter's brother and the two brothers, James and John. They were also fishermen. Jesus says to them, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He tells them right up front, I have a plan for your life. I've got a purpose that I'm going to work through you. I'm going to send you on a mission. Jesus is very intentional about this. And, you know, I told you earlier, that my dad taught me how to fish. Now, one thing I know about fishing, and all of you who are are fishermen can can confirm this, you don't catch fish by accident, do you? Do you catch fish by accident, Terry? No, it's intentional. Now, I I have caught a lot of weeds by accident. I've caught a few branches by accident. I even once... Caught a fishing pole by accident. It was in the bottom of the lake, and somehow I snagged it. Of course, that doesn't make up for the four or five that I lost in the bottom of the lake. My dad once caught a pair of underwear. That's a fun thing to take off the hook, because you're thinking, where has this been, and how did it end up in the water? I even heard of a person who caught a dead body once. But if you want to catch fish, it happens by design. It takes intentionality. First of all, you need the right equipment. Because you don't catch river trout with deep-sea fishing gear and a 1,000-pound test line. You're not going to catch too much. You need the right location. You are not going to fish for bass off the end of a pier in Galveston. You're not going to catch too many bass. You might catch a shark, but not bass. You need the right bait. Because you're not going to catch crappie on Grand Lake like you do walleye in northern Minnesota. I can tell you about the walleye, Terry. I still have never caught a crappie on Grand Lake. Because they're two totally different types of fishing. And I know how to do one, but not the other. And if we want to raise up heroes, we're going to have to be more intentional with how we share our lives with them. It takes the right equipment. That is the love of Jesus. And the knowledge that God has created them for something more. That God has a purpose for their lives, too. We need the right location. Which, let me tell you, isn't here in these four walls. Not completely. It's wherever they are. For however long it takes. And we need the right bait. Genuine love and the intentional desire to share our lives with them. And we need to be intentional in our individual lives as Christians. We need to be intentional as a church. That's how you multiply disciples. And let me give you a very practical tool. This is something you've probably heard before, maybe in your own profession or your career. It's been called the five principles of leadership development, the five principles of apprenticeship or discipleship. But this morning, we're just going to call it the five principles of hero making. And number one is this. I do. You watch. I'll do it. You just watch and learn. Number two, I do. You help. This time you roll up your sleeves, you get involved, and and you contribute to the process. You learn more. Number three, you do, I help. Now, this is where you take the lead on it, and I just kind of help out where, where it needs. Number four is you do, I watch. Now you have learned. You're capable of doing this on your own. You know this stuff. And number five, you do, someone else watches. And this is where it goes full circle. This is where you're now you're sharing your life with somebody else. This is where the multiplication takes place. And this is essentially what Jesus did with Peter. It's what he did with the other disciples. This is why Peter was able to stand up on the day of Pentecost and make so many heroes. Because he'd spent that time with Jesus. He watched Jesus. He helped Jesus. And then Jesus helped him and watched him and made him a hero maker. Now, we've talked about the beginning of the story and the end of the story, but that wasn't a smooth transition for Peter. Peter had some challenges along the way. We all know what happened to Peter on the night Jesus was arrested, right? Jesus was arrested. He was taken into captivity. Peter follows behind. And a little servant girl recognizes Him as one of the disciples. And she says, you, you belong to Him, don't you? And you all remember what Peter did. He denied that he even knew Jesus called down curses on Himself. I swear, I don't know the man. at that point, Peter had to feel like a total failure. Especially when he found the empty tomb. And he knew that Jesus was alive. You see, here's the thing. Jesus is the ultimate hero maker and He's not done with Peter yet. Now, Peter, after his failure, he leaves Judea. He goes back up to his old stomping grounds there in Galilee and he goes back to the things that he knows so well. His boats, his fish, his nets. He goes back to his comfort zone. And so once again... After three years of following Jesus, Peter is fishing again. And he has spent another night fishing. And just like the night three years before, he has fished all night and he hasn't caught a thing. Once again, Jesus shows up in the morning. And in John 21, it recorded the scene for us beginning in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children! The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Jesus then fixes the disciples' breakfast. Fish, of course. And the numbers here I find really interesting. First of all, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Did you know that this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to Peter since his death? So Peter has now seen Jesus alive three times. And after breakfast, Jesus takes Peter aside and says, Hey, take a walk with me along the beach. We need to talk. And Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me more than these? Maybe he was pointing at the boats or the fish. Maybe the Nets. I don't know. But three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And each time Jesus asks this question, it cuts Peter to the heart because each time it reminds Peter of his failure. And three times Peter answers Jesus, Yes, Lord, You know that I love You. But Jesus meets Peter. Not in judgment. Jesus doesn't say, Peter... You really blew it. I gave you a chance, and you messed it up. No. Three times Jesus meets Peter in His grace. And three times He once again gives Peter a mission. He calls him with a purpose. He, he says, I still have an intention for you. I still want to use you. Except this time He doesn't call him to be a fisher of men He changes metaphors. He says, Peter, take care of my sheep. Love my sheep. So now Peter's not a fisherman. He's going to be a shepherd taking care of Jesus' sheep. And then Jesus ends the conversation with the same words that he used three years before. Follow me. Follow me, Peter. I still want you. Follow me, Peter. I still have a purpose for you. I'm going to still use you. And this brings us to the second key to sharing our lives. The first is intentionality. The second is persistence. It takes persistence. One thing's for sure. If you're going to fish, you have to have a lot of persistence. You can't give up easily. You can't quit. Because it takes a lot of patience. You can't just spend five minutes on the water and say, well, fish aren't biting today. We might as well go skiing. You can't just throw your line out three or four times and say, well, no luck today. Let's go home. No. It takes persistence. And I am so glad Jesus did not give up on Peter. If Jesus had given up on Peter, we would never read Acts chapter 2 the way it reads. Jesus hasn't given up on me, and He hasn't given up on you, and He hasn't given up on all of those people out there. All those people that He's called us to reach. I want to leave you with the story of John Timberlake. John was a runner. For the University of Tennessee, he was pretty fast runner. He could do a mile in four minutes and eight seconds. That's that's crazy fast. I'm not sure anybody here could match that. But during his freshman year at UT, he was trying to qualify for nationals and and he had failed in several attempts and he had one more race in which he could qualify for nationals and his coach wanted to encourage him. And so his his college coach had invited his high school coach to come and cheer him on. And his high school coach brought several of his old high school teammates all to cheer him on as he was trying to qualify for nationals. And there in the middle of that race, on the second lap, John found himself in last place. And there's this whole section in the stands of people cheering for him. And he felt so embarrassed, and he was so just disappointed that on lap number three, he stepped off the track, and he quit. He stopped running. When the race was over with the coach comes down out of the stands, he says, "John, why did you quit?" He says, we were keeping track. You were on record pace. It was your personal best. All you had to do was keep pace and finish the race and you would have qualified for nationals. In fact, everyone who finished made nationals. And John didn't make it because he got focused on the wrong thing. He got to paying attention to his place in the race and he lost sight of what his goal was. And that was just to have a time good enough to make nationals. And I think a lot of times we, we find ourselves in, in that same situation. We get distracted because we're focused on the wrong thing. We're focused on our place in life, what kind of job we have, how much money we have, where we live, what we drive, you know, how many people like our posts on Facebook. What other people think about us. And we lose sight of why God put us here. And what Jesus' plan for our lives is. And that through us, Jesus wants to touch the lives of others. And He wants not only for you to share your life with others, He wants to, to be able, you to be able to share His life with others. And we lose sight of that goal. And we get all wrapped up in stuff that doesn't ultimately matter. And so we quit. We step off the track. And we give up way too soon. And so this morning I ask you, where is your... Focus. Are you focused simply on your place in life? Are you focused in what Jesus is calling you to? I think if we keep our focus not on ourselves, but on others, it'll make a big difference not just in our lives, not just in the life of that other person, but it'll change the church, it'll change the community. Well, it's time I wrap this thing up, and it's time to go fishing. I hear the fish are biting. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, thank You for not giving up on me. I have failed so many times certainly fallen on my face more than Peter did. But you didn't give up on me. You still have a purpose for me. You still have a purpose for every person here. Thank you for the life that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray that we would go out from here and share that life with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, you're hurting, I want you to be assured of this. God has not given up on you. Jesus still has a purpose for you. If you need prayer this morning, we've got Roy is up here at the cross. We've got some of our Stephen ministers back here. I'm going to be through these doors right here if you have a decision to make. Let's sing this song of invitation.